Welcome to State Road 49, an audio program that shares extraordinary stories from everyday people. I'm your host, Aaron Freinberger, and we'd like to thank you for coming back. Today's episode is told by Scott Heiberger, author of Behind the Wire, A Prisoner's Journey to the Pulpit, which is about his life. He sat down with us and shared some of his experiences. Much like episode 8 of State Road 49 that we aired in August, this episode makes mention of attempted suicide. If this is a sensitive subject for you, we'd like to give you a fair warning. Suicide is not the answer. If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, please seek help. Okay. Here we go. My lowest point in my life actually became page one, chapter one of my book. And that was the thing that I felt that I would never tell anybody or share it with anybody because, you know, you get to the lowest point in your life, you don't want anybody to know about it. And it was about my son. At that point, he was one and a half years old. Uh, I was drunk and high and drove him drunk to a crack house and bought crack and locked him into the car. And then I ended up coming back out from there and then driving with him. And then my ex found out about it. And then she took him out of my life. She found out all about it, that I drove drunk and high to a crack house with my one and a half year old son at night. Like just, that's when I tried to kill myself the second time. Uh, it uh, really getting started um, going down the wrong path, I would say, just, I mean, right from the very beginning, even, you know, from my earliest memories of just breaking into um, houses next door to us. I'm like four or five years old, like breaking into the neighbor's house and stealing little old ladies' glasses and hiding them places. And just, you know, so it was like from, right from the very beginning, just uh, crazy living. Uh, I lived in Michigan City for the first 12 years of my life. So, um, I went to Mullen Elementary School, and uh, I was basically a minority in that school, so I knew how that felt to like grow up in there. So there was a lot of fighting going on, so it was just violence from the very beginning too. And that's pretty much how I learned how to resolve or solve problems was through violence, through fighting. Right from the very beginning, uh, there was there was trouble uh, in just stepping into. Uh, more and more trouble, first arrest at 12, started drinking at 13, uh, and then it just began to spiral from there, um, in and out of trouble in school, uh, then uh, going into juvenile detention centers, uh, then progressing, landing into juvenile prisons, uh, juvenile maximum security prisons, uh, just very, very violent environment. Then uh, the judge, when I got to be 17 years old, they just waved me to adult court. And uh, I, w I was in adult county jail uh, at 17. And then it just began to go. I think that I was just crazy. And I wasn't really thinking about anything. You know, really, it was really about just, uh, I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And I didn't care about 
what anybody had to say about it. And that's pretty much how I lived my life. So it was just, there was no rules in my head. Like I just did what I wanted to do whenever, when I wanted to do it. And, and, and then the police were right there to just stop me in my tracks at every turn to be able to lock me up and stop me. The police were my enemy. I mean, anything in authority was um, like my arch enemy. If they were gonna stop me from doing whatever I wanted to do, and uh, every time that I got arrested, there wasn't, even if it was just like some kind of underage drinking, it would turn into multiple felonies of fighting the police, running from the police, high-speed chase, um, just crazy. So it multiplied the problem in an incredible way every time. Actually, I begged the police to take me in the first time I got arrested because I was more afraid of what my stepdad was gonna do to me that, that I actually was gonna be going to jail. Like it was really like I wanted to go there so I didn't have to get in trouble because I stole my parents' car and I was like 12 and it was a stick and I didn't know how to drive a stick so I got down the road and blew the engine on the car so I'm like, take me please. <laughs> you <laughs> needed a cool down period. <laughs> right, <laughs> for real. Uh, my my stepdad, uh, he, he raised me and he's a, he's a big guy, you know, he's like a six foot two, 230 pound biker type guy so it was like, I wanted, I'd, ra I'd, I'd rather take my shots at uh, juvenile detention than uh, to face my stepdad, so. I think I was just a really angry kid, and I had two older brothers that, you know how big brothers are, I mean, but it was, you know, so I was constantly the little brother that's a couple years younger than them, and they're like 10 months apart. So it's like they were buddies, and then I was the pesky little brother that always wanted to hang with them. So there was always a lot of drama going on with, with them two just kind of doubling up on me, and then going to school and been, being one of the only white kids in school was a whole nother, uh, monster in itself, and, and it doesn't matter. You can drop any nationality off in any, and if you're a minority somewhere, you're gonna get a lot of more, a little more trouble than than normal. And it was a very violent school, so it was just a lot, a lot of fighting, and just it was like one big pressure cooker. My parents, they were drinkers, and they'd be out a lot, and there was multiple generations of of alcoholism in my family as well. So that was there, you know, and. Uh, and then just between all the stuff that was going on at home and then school, uh, there was really no break, you know, from the pressure, really, you know. And I, you know, I'm six, seven, eight years old and I'm running around town, you know, just like, I can't even imagine. We have, my stepson's 13 and we don't let him really go too far from the house at all. And I was like eight years old running all around town, so just in all kinds of different things, you know. It was just really no real supervision the way that I really needed it to be, you know. By the time I was in seventh, eighth grade, I'm skipping school, I'm getting drunk, drinking hard liquor, just wasted, you know, in middle school. So that, that, that thought alone too just really is so crazy to me just to think of, you know, like I said, uh, you know, our 13-year-old stepson, I mean, I'm like a year younger than him and I'm like getting wasted and I'm looking at him and I'm like, you're so little, you know? How did this happen? And it was just, so just the, as getting into fatherhood and just looking at that, it's just like, wow, it's like, man, I was so young doing so many crazy things that, you know, just doesn't make sense. Mainly it was, it was getting drunk and then doing something crazy 
whether it be stealing something or getting in a fight with the police or selling drugs, just a lot of, uh, just a real variety. There's no, uh, but, it, but it mostly stemmed like I would get messed up and then I would go and do something and then I'd get caught for it and then I would fight with the police, run from the police. And then so there was always a lot more trouble brought on to the trouble that I had, I had caused. Like I had made it way worse than it actually was typically. After doing that a number of times, then that's when uh, prison started as an adult. 17, 18, uh, just basically parents really fed up with me, just jumping from house to house, staying here, staying there, you know, not really having a residence, just living, you know, partying pretty much just night to night where I end up landing at, drinking, drugging. I end up at somebody's house, maybe I don't even know, passed out, woke up, and then it was just kind of like that cycle, that pattern living night by night, you know, no real plan, no strategy, no target for life. You know, it started out with just a little bit of drinking as a kid, you know, and then it just progressed into that, you know, and then the progression just, you don't think about it when you take that first drink, you, you know, you're at that sixth grade party, you have no idea where it's gonna be, you know, like where it's gonna end up. I mean, even, even 10 years from then, like where it's gonna be, let alone what it got to towards the end. Drinking was always there, but it was more like to get things started, it kind of buffered it, you know, it was like drinking and then cocaine came in the mix. And that's really what, you know, grabbed a hold of my life and really began to pull it through the mud. Alcoholism was really releasing all that anger. Then cocaine ended up coming into the picture and that's what's really like drug me down low, started taking me down lower and lower, doing terrible things, you know, just, just the existence really, you know. One of the worst moments of my life is when my dad's like, just get your stuff and get out of here, man. You know what I mean? Like, just totally disgusted. I ended up landing in this halfway house, and I was living out there in South Bend, and I ended up going to this movie theater, and uh, I went going, I went seeing uh, the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose, you know what I mean? And, uh, like, while I was in this movie theater, I literally felt the fear of God for the first time in my life. And it was a crazy situation. Um, I didn't know anything about God, but I knew that it was God. I just sensed um, just a fear and a reverence, you know, like of God, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I can't really explain it except for like a real reverence, a fear of God, just and it, it rattled me so much, I, I went out, the, I talk about it in the book, and I, I went out to the parking lot and cried my eyes out, you know, in the car. And my girlfriend at the time was like, what's wrong? I'm like, man, I didn't even know how to tell her. So I ended up going home and, uh, to where she was staying, and I ended up going over to her house, and I ended up uh, pulling out some yellow pages and looking and trying to find, like, a church <laughs> to just call. I look back at it now, years later, and I just felt like it was a nudge on my shoulder, you know? Um, you know, it led me to a scripture, I believe it's in like Romans uh, 10, 20, and it talks about that I it revealed, re revealing myself to people that don't know me, you know what I mean? That I'll make my, that I'll find people that don't know me and I'll reveal myself to them. And like later on, I came into that scripture, but I just, like God had a plan before my life, just like the word of God says, like that we don't choose God, God chooses us. So it was like, he had already chosen me, but I wasn't aware of it. And he gave me a nudge in a movie theater one day. And I just, I sensed him, you know, and it's just, it's, it's an, I, I can't explain it, 
but I just knew that it was him. And then I ended up getting picked up on a warrant that I didn't even know about the very next day. And the first thing that I did when I went into jail is I, I got a Bible. I never did that before. I've been arrested dozens of times at this point in my life. And I'm like, man, I need to get a Bible. And I started reading it, r read it for like two weeks. And uh, I went to a jail church service. And I used to laugh at people in jail that had Bibles and did prayer circles and all this crazy stuff. And I thought it was all a joke. And then here I am going to a, a church service in the county jail. And uh, by the end of the service, I had tears in my eyes and I, I went forward and, and I received Christ. Two things happened that, at that moment. I had a hunger for God's word like I'd never had before. It's never ended. And then two, I had a fear of death that haunted me my whole life. And that fear of that, that spirit of fear that was just gripped me like I was terrified of death, the unknown. It just, it came off me. So I knew uh, something had happened. Jail and prison is just, it's, it's a very, it's a place that's um, led by, by pride, you know? So to stand up and show weakness um, in just in general in life is, is um, difficult, but in prison, it's a whole different thing because, you know, weakness, kindness is weakness, you know, the, you know, predators prey on the weak, you know, so it's like there's just, there's this persona that you gotta be strong, you know, that you gotta be um, tough, you know, so, so to, to take that humbling walk forward in front of 50 guys and just surrender your life to Christ, um, God answered to that, you know. But it took a lot of years, it took a lot of agony, and it took a lot of pain for me to be whipped in a way for me to, to come and just humble myself before God and before people, especially in a jail environment, and to open up my heart to God. And, and God, God reached out and touched my life that day. And uh, I've never been the same. I really haven't. So I, w I went off to prison for a year and I studied the Word of God for like eight hours a day for a whole year, you know, while I was in there. And like, really, God was rapidly changing me through that process so much more than I even had any idea. But then I ended up getting out. I have a son and uh, he was born while I was in prison th that time. And when I got out, his mom left me. And so I had this idea like, all right, I'm born again. Like God has changed me. I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna get married. We're gonna be a family and we're gonna live happily ever after. Well, she's like, I'm done with you, I'm tired of you. And like my whole picture of what I thought it was gonna be when I got out wasn't that at all. And then I just dove into drinking and drugging. I lost my job, I lost my driver's license, I lost my car, I got arrested. Um, just like I was trying to do things a whole differently and, and it just all fell into pieces. Then I ended up trying to kill myself, put 40 stitches in my arm, and uh, I just go deeper and deeper into drugs and alcohol. I tried to kill myself again with a couple hundred sleeping pills and a case of beer. I was done, you know, and like five hours later, I woke up and it was like complete, I just didn't even know how to take it, man. And uh, God, I just felt God in my spirit just saying that I'm not done with you, you know? That he says when it's when it's over when it's game over he he calls it not me. 
talked my dad into coming down to Florida and staying with him, and he gave me the rules, no drugs, no drinking. Like within a day or two, I was drunk, he kicked me out. I was out on the street in a state where I didn't know anybody, so there was no hopping from house to house anymore. Like I, I would always get away with it by knowing people. Basically, I would stand outside of gas stations and things like that and collect enough money to get a drink, and then that would keep me in a funk enough to, to continue to beg for change again. And then the next day, you know, I'd go for the job, and it was basically like that. And then I'd be sleeping outside somewhere, somewhere, whether it be in a building. I've slept in dumpsters. I've slept on the side of buildings. I've slept in the woods. I've slept on the beach. Uh, just, you know, wherever I passed out, really. From that first drink at 12 at the sixth grade party, I mean, 20 years later, to a homeless man, and then all the incarcerations in between all that, we're talking about 35 arrests throughout this whole 20-year period. These patterns of drinking and drugging for so many years were just so strong in my life. It was just, I just couldn't shake them, you know? So uh, I was getting pretty tired, uh, couldn't take it anymore, and I was gonna turn myself in in Indiana because I had those I had felony warrants because I'd left all those charges. So I asked a family member if they would give me a train ticket and they ended up doing it. And through that process, that last time to prison, that's when I picked up my Bible. And in Jeremiah 29, 13, I read, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. And I went after him with my whole heart. And uh, it's been an incredible ride ever since then. I stepped outside of that prison. Within a week, I was invited to Road to Life Church. And uh, that started a whole nother chapter and a whole nother journey in my life. As soon as I walked into the service, I was just completely blown away just by the presence of God. I just knew in my heart that this was where God wanted me to be. It just, it was hands down, like this is exactly where I was supposed to be. So uh, I just, I found uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Dave, after service, and I just asked him, how can I get involved? How can I, I don't, I don't even care what it is. I just want to volunteer, you know? So I, they put me to work, you know, and just allowed me to be able to volunteer. Uh, to do like loadout, then I started doing parking, and just wherever there was needed, any event, any anything that was available, any anything that the church was doing, I just was going to be there to to help out in any way that I could. Within a couple of months of doing that, I felt you know a conviction that I needed to go meet with our pastor just to kind of tell him you know like who I was, you know, and so uh, you know, and I was afraid you know like are they going to even accept me here because you know who my whole my whole life you know. So I got in a meeting with him and then I ended up telling him about it and he's like, I had already heard all about you and of course that you're welcome here, you know? So it was a huge relief. So I just hit the ground running, just was volunteering at everything possibly that I could. And in the process of that, I, I, was, I was going to NA meetings, AA meetings, I was walking to them, the church, I was riding my bicycle seven, eight miles from Portage to Chesterton at four in the morning to load in at church. Like I just, I didn't care. I just wanted to be where God was. So whether that excuse of I don't have a ride wasn't a part of it. I was gonna hitchhike, I was gonna walk, I was gonna ride my bike in the rain, the sleet, the snow, you know, whatever. I was gonna get there and through that process of doing all that, you know, NANAA, they all, they all talk about 90 meetings in 90 days and I did 200 meetings in 180 days, you know, so I was just going after it. And I ended up going through the 12 steps and going to all these meetings and this whole time I wasn't even telling anybody any of this, like in the church, like I was a, I was actually embarrassed of it, you know, that I was going to meetings and all these things. 
but I was chasing Jesus through these rooms. I wasn't chasing a higher power or whatever, you know, what, you know, nothing against that. But I just, you know, I was after Jesus through these rooms and, and God was really, really helping me through it, you know, and, uh, about nine months into that, I get land into this life group, and here I am sitting across from my now beautiful, amazing wife, Danielle, that's here with me. And um, we ended up getting married within four months, and we're gonna be celebrating five years of marriage uh, next month, actually. Working hard through that process of a whole year of just basically volunteering everywhere. And at Road to Life Church, we do have an internship program. That's a two-year internship. And, First year, you know, was basically uh, learning, you know, about managing your own life, and then uh, the second year would be to be able to manage and be able to steward other people's lives. Well, I, I applied for it, my fingers crossed, and uh, they ended up taking a huge risk on me, and they, they hired me to be an intern, and I ended up uh, coming on after a year of volunteering um, everywhere, and uh, just began that uh, my, that path, that uh, season of um ministry, you know, full-time ministry. A couple months into the internship, I was, uh, I approached Pastor Dave, our lead pastor, and said, hey, what do you think about a prison ministry? Got to talking about Westville Correctional Facility, but I was just um, asking, you know, what they what thought about it, uh, just so I could be helping some way. I, this, that would be cool to be a part of it in some way. So boom, that just started the whole uh, prison ministry uh, for me and then uh, with Road to Life Church. And I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna be, a, be able to be a part of it. I'm gonna be able to go in. And he's like, no, he's like, I want you to lead it. And I'm like, what, <laughs> me? You know, you, you want me to do it? So I was like, all right, let's do it, man. You know, I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid. So uh, we just ended up doing it. We did one service a week to um, uh, two services a week, and then to uh, life groups, which is our small groups, to three services a week, to multiple life groups, to like four services a week, and then other life groups, and then more and more people coming on. Then we went to Indiana State Prison, and now we're, and then we went into their weekly, going in there multiple times a week, and then we came over to Porter County Jail, and and then it just it's just growing and growing and growing, and then we go to the juvenile prison uh, that I actually lived in. We went in. And at the, at the same time, just to throw this out there, is like these are all prisons and jails that I used to live in, so it was weird. So how was that? <laughs> it like was going... It's surreal. Yeah. It's surreal. Like I walk into there and it's electric every time because I had spent all these years living in all these same jails and prisons that I'm now walking down the same sidewalks into, into the same chapels and churches that I used to sit in, in oranges or khakis, you know, and I'm in there ministering the gospel to them, like what God did for me, he'll do for you. So it's just really incredible. To, did you ever envision? No, not even not even a little bit, you know. So I was in, you know, when I was in prison, I, you know, I talk about that all the time to the guys. I'm like, man, when I was laying on my bunk at night and I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, I had no idea, you know, that it was gonna be this awesome and that God was gonna take me in and do, to do all these things. Yeah, God, he, uh, he saved me, you know, he saved my life. Uh, I was so, so rebellious, so prideful, so um, just stuck in addiction uh, that I needed, I needed that. I needed to be away from, from everyone. And at the heart of the thing is that as everybody was getting stripped away, after all that humiliation and everything getting stripped away from me and then getting into prison and not having anybody, it just, it humbled me and in, in, in that isolation was really a setup. You know, it was a setup 
for a comeback. You know, it just got that, it, you know, we like to say it was a set, that setback was a setup for a comeback, but it really was like it was a setup to get me isolated, to get me humbled, to get me in a spot to really to be able to need God. And uh, prison was that place for me. How I had been so extremely destructive in my life because of who I was and how aggressive I was, like, I just, you know, I, I, I went in the other direction with it. I, I ran with God with it instead of get against God, and then just everything began to change, you know? And as God was changing me, everything else was changing. Like, my, my all of my relationships, began to change as I changed, like, because people were responding to me differently, you know, you know, so as I was walking, running for God, and as God was bringing success in my life, it was just opening up a whole different lifestyle, a whole different hope, as God was just revealing himself to me, as I was pursuing him with my whole heart, just everything was changing, you know, and it, life began to be actually exciting and hopeful because you're thinking like all these years, I'm just going deeper and deeper and deeper and uglier, darker in my life. And then everything just started opening up to me, you know, and there was always this, this sense inside of me like that I could do something way more than what I was doing because I could just run after something and just be aggressive and, and be consistent. And like, like I knew that I could accomplish some things. I knew that I, I just, I just, I just felt that in my heart, you know, I knew it. And as I pursued God, it became possible. You know, it really did. It really became possible. That little bit of hope that I had, it was like just opening up in front of me. It was, it was, it was amazing. Page one, chapter one of my book, and it was about my son. Um, my, at that point, he was one and a half years old. Uh, I was drunk and high and drove him drunk to a crack house and bought crack and locked him into the car. And then I ended up coming back out from there and then driving with him. And then my ex found out about it. And then she took him out of my life. She found out all about it, that I drove drunk and high to a crack house with my one and a half year old son at night, like just that. And then that's, that's when I tried to kill myself the second time. I said all that to say, you know, even in my book, I talk about, you know, that I'm still waiting with you. You know, there's hardships, there's things that you've lost, there's things, the relationships that's been broken, but God is a good father and, you know, and, and I'm hopeful that one day that I'll be able to be in my son's life again because that was the, the last time I seen her or was able to talk with my son and he's now 12. And um, Friday night, I got a friend request on Facebook from my son. And then the next day, his mother messaged me through Facebook and said, we want to talk on the phone with you and, and, and restore this relationship. <laughs> so that's happening now. So I'm going to meet my boy <laughs> this week. So there is hope. Once again, that was Scott Heiberger, prison pastor of Road to Life Church and author of Behind the Wire, which is available now. If you scroll down, we have a link to the book in our show notes. Thank you, Scott, for sharing your story, and thank you for listening. I'm Aaron Freinberger, and this is State Road 49.
by Aaron Freienberger, Matt Willingham, and Garrett Schultz. It is executive produced by the Heartland Christian Center. Visit their website at hcc3d.com. That is hcc3d.com. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Garrett Schultz. Music by Thomas Kilabas. For more information about the program, visit us at facebook.com slash stateroad49. This program was produced in Valparaiso, Indiana.